You're listening to Gifted with Sheila White, a podcast that will inspire you. Its purpose is to uplift and entertain creatives to pursue their passions through their gifts. Sheila White is a film and television producer, author, and entrepreneur. And in each episode, Sheila talks with gifted individuals about their journey and the lessons they've learned. It will also inspire you to make an impact, living your best purpose-driven life with clarity. And now, here's your host, Sheila White. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. This is going to be an exciting show. I'm so glad to have with me and with me today on the show, Apostle Bernice Hardaway Loftis, who is the founding pastor of Serenity of a Second Chance Ministry and Serenity Outreach Christian Center in Bowler, Tennessee. She travels extensively preaching a message of hope, healing, and restoration through Jesus Christ. Apostle Bernice has two children and one granddaughter, and she's happily, happily married to Pastor Patrick Loftis. You know, when you're from a farm country in Hickory Valley, Tennessee, you know, this story is a draw-dropping story. I mean, this is a story today that we're going to talk about, for, about a woman whose journey from the clutches of death and betrayal to the revelation of life. This is one that you want to definitely call a friend, get a pen, and listen into. Um, she goes from this draw-dropping story to the victory of a life in Christ. She was tortured at age 14 by someone who was called a family member, a family friend, actually. And Bernice Loftis takes a bold stance and exposes the dark side of her life in countless traumatic events that caused her to spiral out of control. These events that almost landed her in a bed at a local psychiatric hospital. We're going to talk about that and get into her story today. She's the author of Bent But Not Broken. So no matter how hard it is, you can make it. Today, I'd like for you to welcome my two guests, Miss Apostle Bernice Hardway Loftis and, and Apostle Hardway and Apostle Loftis. I'm sorry. Welcome to the show. Thank you so Thank much. You. Well, you know, there's a lot going on here in this book, Bent But Not Broken. But what we want to do, Bernice, is we want to begin with you and we want to get into your backstory because I know that you grew up in a small town of 14 siblings all with the same parents is not too common today, you know, um, you are very poor, but you had a, a God fearing parent. So let's start with your backstory. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing and in, uh, in the country. Well, uh, like you said, uh, yes, I am uh, the number ch the child number 14 of 14 siblings. And yes, we all have the same parents, the same mother and the same father. And we grew up in a small town called Hickory Valley, Tennessee, and we grew up on a farm. Um, my dad worked real hard to make sure that he supplied us with everything that we need. So you name it, we pretty much had it there. Uh, he grew crop. Um, so part of the crop sharing into where uh, there was cotton and peas and okra and uh, squash and you name it, it was there on the farm. So, yeah. The animals, all of that, the pigs, the hogs, the cows, we had it. Wow, this is a real farm life, real farm life. Yes, exactly. And actually in a small, small town and things like that as well. Wow, that's interesting because nowadays um, kids will driving down a country road and they look and see some little animals and they don't know if it's a lamb, a goat, 
or what it is, you know. And so when you grow up with these animals, you know exactly, no, that's pigs. No, that's cows. You can identify. Right. A lot of times you can identify from the smell when you're driving down the country. Exactly. And things like that. So, so growing up in a small town and then being poor, having 14 siblings, I know that that was really uh, some challenges time. But I imagine you all had chores to do on the farm. Yes. And uh, they look, I was the baby. So there was plenty of chores to be done. I had my small share. But of course, by me being the baby, I didn't have to do as much as they did. So, yeah, but it was plenty to do. Wow. You know, when you have 14 children, you're growing up and you're poor, as you mentioned, um, and then it's time to go to school. Um, I imagine I know you talk in your book about being teased because you had to have hand-me-down clothes. A lot of times you don't go out and buy a lot of new clothes when it's school time. You just get those hand-me-down clothes. And and you talk about watching kids eat the, you know, the Debbie snacks and the raisin snacks and having juice boxes and things like that. You just had a dime in your pocket. Let's talk about those feelings as a young child being so poor. We know you grew up in the farm life. What was it like going to school with these other kids that were probably, you know, in this, they were not in the city, they were in the country, but they were a little bit more, um, prosperous than you guys. How did you feel? Right. Uh, as a child at that age and being, you know, in grammar school and you seeing everyone else around you, how they had the extra, the raisin uh, cakes and the little Debbie's and, and here I am that we couldn't, we didn't have that. Mom and dad wasn't able to get us the name brand, if you will, snacks um, to take to school. So I had a dime in my pocket and I was, don't get me wrong, I was very grateful to have that dime to buy my milk. But, you know, we was on the free lunch program and usually the kids that uh, uh, that brought their lunch, more likely they probably did. They brought it because they wanted to or because their parents made too much money. So they wasn't able to uh, to apply for the free lunch program. So mm-hmm. I had to eat whatever was there, you know, and even for my snacks, I had to uh, whatever I took that day, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, where they may have had all these other different nice snacks. They may have had a nice lunch box, you know, with the cartoon carrot on. Wow. And yeah. I had a little paper bag, you know, the brown paper bag with your stain on it from what's in your lunch bag. And wow. it didn't always make me feel good because even though I know that we all was children, uh, but the little teasing and the little jokes, you smile and you go on when they would say things like, oh, your mom couldn't afford to buy you a lunchbox, you know, because it's too many of them. Even though I knew that they was, you know, joking, yeah. but not knowing that it was affecting me internal, you know, my uh, self-esteem, you know, yeah. caused you to look down and um, envy will sometimes even arise, you know, rise within you because you're looking at that they have it better than you. It's like their life, even though we had a good life, but it seems as if their life was better than mine. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because when you're poor, you're going to school, you have hand-me-down clothes on, kids are teasing you because you have such a large family and things like that. Um, you know, you're struggling. The parents are doing the best what, best that they can. And I know mm-hmm. that you talk about your parents being very strict, very religious and things like that and trying to, you know, install, install the morals in you all, in the children and in the whole family. So your mom and your dad doing the best that they could do at the time, you know, giving you the best that they had. But then it gets to a point during the school time when you're about age nine that your dad is experiencing some health challenges. And your dad at age nine passes away. 
Now you have a farm with all these farm animals, all these children trying to go to school and you don't have a father now, besides not having all of those other basic necessities that other kids have at school. Um, And then at age 12, your mother passes away. So now it's like you're an orphan and you're in this world and you're doing all this with these brothers and sisters. What was it like for you at that time when no parents, you're a young child still, you have all these responsibilities. What was going through your mind at this time, Miss Bernice? Um, at that time, it was very hard. Um, and as you have already stated that I did, I really felt like an orphan. I feel like that I was left alone uh, without parents. I'm looking at my siblings and most of them was grown and they had their family, they had their children and their children was some of them was around my age that so we were the same age. And so not only am I their aunt, but also uh, we're friends, you know, uh, they became my friends in school and, and at home as well. But it made me feel um, as if they had, you know, un- that like I was left alone because they had to go home. They had to go home at the end of the day. They still had to go home to their mom, to their dad. And I didn't have a parent to go home to, you know, and I began to feel resentful. I uh, rejected um, depression began to set in because it was like, what about me? You know, I didn't have that opportunity uh, to have my parents with me for a long period of time, especially in those that, those years of growing up as a teenager. Mm-hmm. You know, having that guidance. I did have my family now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very loving family and supportive. But at the same time, it wasn't the same. My brother, he raised me, mm-hmm. uh, took me into his home, my oldest brother. And he didn't have children. So and he wasn't married. So he took me in as his own, but it still wasn't the same. It wasn't, you know, you're my brother and I know you love me, but you're not my dad. You're raising me as your child. You're trying to instill in me the same morals and values that mom and dad uh, left with us. But at the same time, it was lonely not having a pain. You know, and it's really, really interesting because when you think about this story, you know, here you are um, a family of 14 children, you know, strict parents, your mother and father loving you, giving you, giving you all the best that they can afford. I mean, the house was full of love. And so oh, yes. that mother and that father there, the farm chores, being teased, going to school as you're growing up and then the loss of your parents. Now you have a feeling of isolation and loneliness, you know, there's pain involved. As a young child, you're going through this, this, and and many people experience these feelings today and it makes them bitter. You know, it makes them rebellious. And I know you talk about in your book about at this time, you know, going into these teenagers, you're starting to have this vile profanity as a teenager, you know, that becomes your language of rage because you're hurt. You're, 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 you're feeling lonely. You're feeling this pain. You're feeling teased. And so many things are going through your mind, not having a mom to hold you, to get you through this or dad to kind of pat you on the back that, you know, in your mind will be there to see you walk down the aisle. I can just imagine um, the hurt that you're going through. So as a teenager now, we kind of, as we're moving forward, your your language changes. You begin to hear all this profanity around you and you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to fit in, you know, fit in. So exactly. now your language is happening. So as a teenager, what was, what was it like now? Because all of this stuff is bottled up inside of you. You're like, like a steam kettle, you know, you're just kind of, the whistle is blowing, but the lid hasn't popped off yet. Tell the audience a little bit about 
those feelings that you had um, and that you experienced as this young girl, here's all this vile profanity. You're just trying to fit in. You're trying to look for love in all the wrong faces and all the wrong places, even as a youth. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yes, I became uh, very resentful, honorary, uh, just, uh, just a troubled child, not in the sense of getting in trouble, uh, not to that extent, mm-hmm. but with my mouth, uh, I became uh, very vocal. Yeah. Um, profanity became my language, you know, um, to where it was like my tool, my weapon that I used. Uh, and also what I heard, I began to take on things that I heard adults say and do, mm-hmm. whether it was right or wrong. I began to pick up, you know, their language because now I'm this child trying to find her way in life. But I'm surrounded by a lot of adults, you know, uh, and also trying to find my way in life without having guidance. Not saying that my my brothers or my siblings weren't trying to guide me, but there were some things that they was missing as well. Uh, while they was trying, while I was trying to find my way in life, they also was trying to find their way in life. So here I am as this person of trying to do adult, trying to handle things or handle life as a teenager, as an adult. You know, while I was a teenager, I was trying to be an adult. So I was growing up fast and I was saying things and uh, doing things that uh, as a teenager that I really should not have been doing. Right, right. And this is the thing, because now you're into these teenage years. There's all this smorgasbord of bottled up anger and resentment, bitterness, all of these things. And I know that your other siblings were trying to go through their own private struggles as well, you know, not having their parents and all the chores and all the things happening. And so now you here, you're here and there's a friend that 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 comes that your dad before your dad passed, allowed this friend to stay in you all's barn at the time and then he later moved into the home okay and this is where it really gets interesting because here's just a friend that was a family that was like a family member because he was moved into the home he was a friend of the family everyone knew him but yet this is a stranger still because you all did not necessarily grow up with him and so now you have the evil in the house Here's a stranger that comes to live with your family. You're about 14 years old, have all this, these issues and things going on. And even though your dad trusted him at the time, you know, this individual on one day backs you into a room and begins to do unspeakable things to you. You know, let's talk about what that time was like in your life. Uh, That was a hard place in my life uh, with knowing that, the person that was living in our house, um, me being a child, so you don't have a say so uh, about too much of anything. Of course, you know, children stay in children's place. And after um, my dad and my mom passed away, uh, the man continued to stay with us. It's almost as if he was part of the family now because Mm -hmm. he watched uh, how dad groomed us and how mom cared for us and instilled in us and the same treatment that we got he received too but um the the after the farm was done his stay continued you Mm. know uh instead of it expiring it continued on so now um this man is there and here i am uh being a troubled uh lonely um disturbed teenager that has lost both of my parents Mm. now 
uh, here, you speaking language, you hanging around uh, uh, mostly adults because all of my siblings, I'm the baby. So most yeah. of all of my siblings are, they are old enough to date. So their friends are hanging around. Oh. And, um, and then as the talk of the conversation of how a man's supposed to treat a woman and what you expect. And, and then too, I noticed that the values was low when it came to relationships. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's so, interesting. very yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because I know your mom taught you all about, you know, the, as you say, the pearls and the dogs, you know, the pigs and the dogs mm-hmm. um, were perverted. The boys were perverted and men who would take advantage of a girl's innocence, you know, type of thing. And, and so your mom taught you the virtues, not to sit on young boys lap and not to do certain things. So I know you had that in the back of your mind. Right. Um, kind of what not to do and how boys weren't supposed to touch girls in certain places in certain ways and things like that. So thinking about that conversation yet now you're, this man is in the room with you and, and, and some, you know, different things begin to happen uh, and things like that. Um, And I know at a certain point in time, you, you know, you were nervous and you go to tell your siblings after this, your sisters, you're like, okay, I got to say something. I feel trapped. And you go to tell your sisters and the interesting thing about, you know, just trying to speak up, your siblings and girls are like, well, that's okay. You know, he's done that to all of us. You know, you'll be all right. You know, how did that make you feel after you opened up yourself and told someone, you know, that you were being violated? I felt really bad. And I also, it it, it made me feel rejected. It made me feel like um, that I didn't have no one to stand up for me by me being the, you know, being the baby, being the youngest. And then we have this older man that is here and it's like, oh, it it was very passive. And they didn't realize that how it hurt me or or what it was, you know, the effects that I was going through from losing mom and dad. Now you have this man here that's supposed to care about me just as much because you've been here most of all of my days, you know, and now you have violated and it was almost as if it was okay. And you wanted, it was like being swept under the rug because at some point it has happened to them and no one wanted to address it. Mm. So, and when it wasn't addressed for them, it was kind of like, okay, I know that this happened, but all, all right. You know, it was kind of like, I believe you, but we're not going to do anything about it because wow. I know it happened to me. So we're going to wow. keep this in the closet and wow. just stay away from them. You know, you telling me what to do, but at the same time, we're not dealing with it. So mm-hmm. now I feel unloved. I feel like uh, you wasn't, I didn't have the protection uh, mm-hmm. as a child and as a teenager that I needed, you know, so it's like, oh my God. You know, if my mom was here, if my dad was here, wow. what would have happened? You know, would I have been taken care of? I believe I would have been taken care of mm-hmm. a little bit better than, you know, than this situation. But because nothing happened when it happened to them, it wasn't brought to the table. Wow. So it's like, let's just push this under the rug and you just stay away, you know, and we're going to leave that alone. It's almost like an embarrassment. and You don't want anyone to know. So wow. it's kind of. Yeah, go back to that thought of what goes on in the house stays in the house because you right. don't want to bring shame. Mm. You don't want to bring uh, no kind of uh, rivalry, mm. you know, because, you know, 
dad brought us up good and mom did too, you know, and they instilled in us. So you kind of just walk, you know, you being, I'm now I'm living in silence of my fear. Wow. Um, hmm. And feeling tortured in my mindset of every time I'm around this person, do you give in to, you know, what do you say? How do you act? So all of these different things was going through uh, my mind uh, of feeling uncomfortable. So now you're trying to find a way how to deal with this because he didn't go away. Wow. My thoughts, you know, that's interesting. How all these sisters are just saying, you know, you'll be okay. He did it to all of us. And now you're suffering in silence amidst all of the other things that you're going through. You know, like I said, you have all this, you're just battling all these things, loneliness and feeling that love is it my fault and hopelessness as a youth, you know, just it's like you have all this baggage. You're just getting bricks and bricks and bricks and and just taking more um, you know, baggage upon yourself as a young person. And I know that that made you feel like, you know, you just want to be loved. You know, it, it, I know it spiraled you into this, as you call it, a hopeless romantic. You just want a family. You just want you just want to be a mother, just a wife, have a dog and a house and a white picket fence, you know, because that's that dream over there that. I imagine it was in your mind because as you were growing up, you had a mom and a dad and a family. You were loved. You were around your siblings. Things were normal, even though you were poor. Now have a sense of robbery with this stuff being stripped away from you and then being replaced with resentment and rebellion and rejection and loneliness and bitterness and rage, which had become your language at this point. And now this evil moves into your home and that happens. You know, now you're, you you have a, a bridle on your mouth because you have to be silent. So you right. can't even vent to people of what's going on and things like that. So this feeling of of, of this, this, this uh, hopeless romantic, you know, talk to the audience a little bit about where you're at in your head with that, because I know you just want it to be normal, you know? Right. Yes, I want it to be normal, but here I am suffering in silence. And, you know, and I believe that, uh, when I told my siblings, it wasn't so much that they didn't care. Uh, I I feel in my heart that because they had spoken out that it had happened to them, they too did not know what to do with what happened with their situation. Wow. You know, maybe have been afraid. So now this thing has become, become a thing of, of acceptance that some of these things just happen. And, you know, you just go on, you know, just yeah. put it behind you. Yeah. But I couldn't. So here I am being tortured in silence because in my head, I'm reliving this thing over and over again, exactly how it happened, when it happened, where it happened, wow. you know, the, the day that it happened. And um, and and I'm just, you know, growing angry mm. with it all. And I, I was going through this and maybe it was my fault, you know, mm. because mm. no one, you know, stood up for me at that time. So I said, well, just maybe it's my fault. Wow. So now I'm. I'm taking on the guilt and I'm taking on the shame Wow, over and over again that I relive it, um, you know, and had to really, really just, it it took me a long time to get to the place to where I, and, you know, had to say, it is not your fault because just a child, I had to continue to tell myself I was just a child, but you know, as I, uh, as time went on, I still carried that baggage with me. So when, um, it was always be in my head that I will always watch my children better than what someone watched me. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes you feel uncomfortable because it's like all of these things going on 
And and you're like, okay, um, is this is this all for me in life? Is it my fault? Like you said, a lot of a lot of things going on and things like that. Well, whew, it's we're just getting into it, folks. It's a lot of good stuff here that we're going to be talking with Miss Bernice about. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. We're talking to Miss Bernice Hardaway Lofties, the author of Bent but Not Broken. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Get back out there in style when you shop at It Is Amazing Boutique. We have all the deals and steals you need for your next night out. Find upscale clothing and accessories for women, men, and children at affordable prices. For more information, visit our website at www.itisamazing.biz or call us at 815-582-4995. That's 815-582-4995. Imagine yourself being pampered from head to toe, surrendering to the aromas of sweet serenity. Welcome to Libby's Soaps and Candles. Your destination for comfort and relaxation begins here. Visit us at Libby'sSoapsAndCandles.com to learn more about our exotic products. Welcome back. We are so excited to have our guests with us on today. We're talking to author Bernice Hardaway Lofties about her book, Bent But Not Broken. And we're just talking about her life, how it got started and where uh, things have kind of brought us up to a point. Now you're, you're an adult. We're talking about round two now, you know, the cowboy boots, you know, the denim jackets, this gentleman that walks into your life and has a good job. And and he goes to church, you know, on Sundays and even Bible studies on Tuesdays. Ah, take us back. What happens at that in that relationship, Miss Bernice? In this relationship around two, round two was uh, the second uh, go round of, of starting all of my <laughs> shenanigans of, <laughs> of, of love, looking for love that um, still longing for um, happiness in marriage. Wow. wanted my, my white picket fence and, yes. and house and the children to, that I could care for and take care of my own, you know, that would love me and I would love them. So um, even though my uh, my round one wasn't um, it didn't last, so I continue on and move forward to round two. And round two was this gentleman that came along. So now I felt that I needed someone mature. So really, you looking for I was looking for a father figure, basically. Okay. Someone was matured enough because now here I am with the matured mindset. I've experienced some things, and I have a son, and so. I needed someone to uh, match and looking for my father as well, because I'm still longing for the love of my father. Wow. And uh, wanting to be the one uh, that expressed love that my mother gave my father. So I will always um, find myself cleaning uh, to, especially from what my upbringing was, church, yeah. Yeah. Uh, discipline, mm-hmm. you know, the, the right way of training up your children and loving and kind, mm-hmm. uh, provide, you know, being that provider. So that's what I saw in round two, you right. know. Uh, and plus, he was what I was familiar with the cowboy boots, uh, the jeans, starch to the T, you know. He, <laughs> 
the whole nine yards was, you know, was there caring for uh, his mother as well. So mm-hmm. that's how I end up in round two. Yeah. It, yeah. It just had some flaws that caused that two, that round two to end as well. Yeah. Wow. And it's so interesting because, you know, you, you still have all this baggage, but yet you're yearning for something, like you said, the dog, the house, the white picket fence, you know, the love of a family, you know, that, that hopeless, you're saying there's love out there for me. Am I lovable? So these things are just going through your mind. And, and then that didn't work out. I mean, here's a person that you thought was in church and, you know, taking care of his mother and all these things, but that didn't work out. So now enters into your life, the roster man, you know, going to pack my bags, man, and go to New Orleans, you know, the roster man, the next man that walks into your life, the dreadlocks and, and, and you're thinking, okay, maybe a little rough around the edges, but could this be the one? So you enter into a relationship with this guy, you know, um, and he pops the question. So, so where do we go from there? Now you have a son and, and where do you go from there in that relationship? The same thing is because with the rest of the man, he's there and the long dreadlocks. And, and, and actually what happened was after round one and two didn't work, I was just jokingly talking to my friend, not realizing how powerful my words, you know, that God was going to use me in such a mighty way that yeah. I said, you know what? Maybe my husband is not around here. Maybe he's yeah. in another yeah. state. We're yeah. just talking. And, uh, and sure enough, I went on a business trip, ran into this guy. Of course, he was gorgeous. He his hair, the he had the style, he had the look. He had the back my box, my instant, the accent, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you know, and then I like what attracted me now was because see, now I'm unattracted to somewhat, still wanted it and desired it because I knew that it worked, because that's what dad and mom still in us going to church, but he didn't talk church. But I love the fact that there was no drinking involved. There was, you wow. know, no clubbing. So, you know, you've got, you're thinking you got the perfect person. Yeah. Love his mom. So I always had this journey. If you love your mother, you're going to love me as well. So I wanted to be that one. I wanted mm. to be the one that, you know, that you will love me just like you love your, you, you know, your mom. So, wow. hey, here I go again. Mm. Uh, down this road and yeah. just because I learned something else, just because they don't drink, just because they don't smoke. Wow, you know, interesting. <laughs> Could this be Mr. Right who's Mr. Wrong? Married material for you either. Wow. Mr. Right that looks like on the outside turns out to be Mr. Wrong. Exactly, because he had other things. He had other things playing, you know, and into there was really no uh full commitment because he was uh, never willing to commit to live in Tennessee and I wasn't um, committed to live where he was. So it was kind of like um, I was going to have, you know, the best of all world. I get a tr- mm. chance to travel from state to state. So really there was no commitment, true commitment that you wanted. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, mm. uh, this don't work. Next, let's move move on because right. you know you want it really bad, but at the same time, I just wasn't uh, willing to accept just anything. Wow! And you know, it's really interesting because even though people may not understand the things that you may have gone through, um, these zigzags of your life that seemed like you were in a desert of love, just looking for it, but yet those were ordained by God to make you the person 
that you are today, you know? And so just going through all of that and then still there's something in your heart, you're yearning. I mean, you're in church, still loving the Lord, trying to say, God, I want to get it right. And then another person comes in your life. This is like what we call the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, this next <laughs> that yeah. comes into your life, you know, and he's praying, he, you know, and he's, he's in church and looks like it could be the right one. This could be it, you know, but then this person turns out to be addicted to cocaine and drinking and a womanizer and, you know, all of this. And you're, you're in church. He's got, you're trying to put on a happy face. You know, you don't want people to know what's going on. As you said, we're taught to keep it indoors, keep everything. What goes on in the house stays in the house. So now as an adult, going through all these zigzags in your life, now you're still at a place where you you can't just be open and honest about the hurt and the shame, even to the church members of what's going on behind closed doors, you know, and in the public. How did that make you feel now? Because as an adult, you've been through, you've had some life experiences. You're, you're able to open up as an adult, but you're still afraid. You still feel bridled not to be able to take that bridle off your mouth and talk about it, you know, um, to the church and the public. What was going on at that time in your life with this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? Wow, that was uh, a, a place in my life to where I believe that all of them was some form of, of, of hurt, but this one was really um, very hard for me to deal with. It was yeah. For me, you know, with the others, I was kind of like, okay, this is not working. Oh, let's go next, you know, next on to the next one, because I'm, I know what I'm looking for. And I know what I supposed to have, because I'm looking for that example yes. uh, that was shown to me through yes. my parents, you mm -hmm. know, uh, of being loved, caring for, uh, being in church, you know. So when, uh, so when I didn't see it there or when it ended, I we ended and mm. we moved on. But wow. when we got to, uh, when I moved into this relationship, I was now at this place like, okay, I got to get this right so at some point. I got, you know, I really want it. So now I'm at this place to where I'm really going to try. I'm, mm. I'm really going, I'm not just going to throw in the towel at the first thing that come at me. Mm. Uh, everything that have, you know, I'm just, I'm going to pray it through, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand still, I'm going to wait. So when things began to happen and they began to, uh, I began to notice the sign, but I also ignored the sign. Mm. Um, so I began to accept some things because uh, there was things that was running through my head uh, that I have heard family members say that because now I'm not just with one child, I'm with two. Okay. And, uh, and so it's like no, no man want to take care of, of another man's child. So those things was running through my head. So now I'm at this place that I'm going to stay here because he accepted me and my kids. Mm. You know, mm. uh, he does things with us. We have fun. We laugh. Wow. Uh, so when every time the, the violence came or every time he will go on a bend or whatever, I will overlook those things until it got to the place to where there was no more overlooking because I I uh didn't have no more cover up stories. I, mm. I covered up as much as I could. Mm. Things would begin to spiral out of control to where I had no control over to where it was really deteriorating me mm. physically and mentally to where it almost uh, landed me into a 
psych ward to where we wow. have a uh, and and it wasn't far to get to, so it was wow. like <laughs> you going straight to the mental institution. Mm. And when one of my family members, as a matter of fact, my oldest brother spoke that to me uh, because things had gotten so unbearable to where now it was not only affecting me. I no longer can hide and say what goes on in the house stays in the house because now it was so much to where it spilled over out of the house. Mm. Now it's in the streets. It's in the in the community. And not only that, um, I no longer it was very hard for me to cover up. I was no longer able to cover up and hide it when I went to church. Mm. And now I'm ministry, you know, because I'm in ministry now. He spoke very well and very sweet person, very when they was um not in that place, when they was not taken over by, you know, demonized by that substance abuse. Yeah, substance and, and an abusive of in that in that way. Uh, they was a very nice person, very kind hearted person, a very loving person. But when that spirit, that evil spirit would come up on them, it was it would spiral out of control. So now I no longer can hide mm. because now I'm walking around uh, not only as a victim, but I was victimizing myself. I was self-inflicting me. There's a lot of things that uh, my family did not know. Most of this that they know came out in the book yeah. because I wasn't able to talk about it. I wasn't able to share it. Uh, with anyone without feeling judged or uh, looked at um, worse than what I already was feeling about myself, you know? So yeah. I wasn't able to share it or others would just tell you to just pray about it. Hmm. You know, uh, pray it away. Or most of the time when you try to go for the counseling, no one wanted to get in anyone's business. So it was kind of like your counseling wasn't any counseling. They were just wow. there to just hear what you had to say mm -hmm. and leave with no kind of uh, resolution, no kind of uh, no solution to how to implement anything. It was basically just let me hear your story, you know, and once they hear your story and then it was something to talk about in the street. So mm -hmm. I kind of shut down and um, no, I didn't kind of. I did shut down. Yeah. I just kept everything to myself and tried to find my own way to handle my situation. And the only way that I was able to find it, it was in the word of God. I had to pray uh, every day. I was in my Bible. I, I just had to. And I, I knew God. I said, God, I'm trying. I, I'm really trying mm. to make this work, mm. you know, but I just can't anymore because mm. Even though I wasn't doing uh, drugs or anything, but I felt like I was. Wow. I was like, like I was. That's just mm -hmm. how um, how bad it was, you know, with um, being, living with someone. And if you don't know what this, if you never live with anyone that has been on substance uh, or have an addiction, then you it's hard to explain mm -hmm. uh, what that feels like wow. and how bad you really want to help them you really want to pull them out so you find yourself being drawn in mm -hmm. uh what you're trying to pull them out of it and i felt that way and never touch drugs wow wow yeah. and it's amazing that is so i'm sorry that's so amazing i'm, I'm just 
you know, because even though you weren't on cocaine and alcohol and some substance abuse, all these men that were coming into your life, you're just looking for love and all the wrong on all the wrong faces and all the wrong places, so to speak. But the men became your plug in drug in a sense, because it almost cost you to lose your mind, which is pretty much all you had left was your faith and your mind. But these men coming in and out of your life, plugging into your life at different times became a drug because you're just going through this withdrawal of love and and rejection and resentment and rebellion and all of this going on. You're trying to raise your children, but you're still looking for just that family. You know, like you said, that hopeless romantic and things. And so at this time in your life, it's, it's really interesting because you somehow you hung on to God, his unchanging hand, his love for you. You know what I'm saying? And you're still in ministry trying, like you said, God, I'm trying. I'm trying. And and then what's so interesting about this, I find now, you know, five divorces later or so, here comes a man that steps onto the scene once again. Um, this this knight in shining armor, we'll call him Patrick, this knight in shining armor, who is a black knight. <laughs> he is a black knight. Steps into your life. You've gone through all of this drama and trauma, yet you're in a place, as you said, where you're 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 praying every day. You know, you're talking to God. And and tell us about the time when your son, you know, came to you and just said, Mom, you know, can you get it right? What's going on? Talk, talk to us about that point with about your son and his response to these plug-in drugs men, so to speak. Yes, um, it was very uh, hard for my children. I didn't even realize what I was thinking that it was only affecting me, not mm. realizing that it was affecting my children. So I have a son and, a, and I have a daughter. So my son, he came to me and he just wanted to know, Mama, you know, basically, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why? I understand that you want a husband, but you keep picking and choosing men to do things that you already do for us. You provide for us you know you love us so you're going to get people that you're now taking care of that you're nurturing so now it was it was more or less that instead of me being a wife I was taking in uh, men uh, that I was trying to mend and to mold into shape and uh and I found myself doing it based off of what I grew up to know wow so Wow. I was trying to fix them. I become the fix it lady. So, mm-hmm. you know, now I'm the fix it. I'm set up, you know, I'm the fixer up. Right. You know, right. So if there's a flaw, oh, I got it. I can do it in prayer. We can do this in prayer. Oh, I got it. Okay. If I just, if we just go and get this to make you happy. And a lot of times it was in material things, um, uh, things like that. And it would only last for a few days, you know, the excitement of buying stuff, and, mm. you know, and you found yourself in more debt, and, you know, more than you can handle. And it still didn't change. It still didn't stop the person from doing anything that they wanted to do. It never made them be committed to the relationship. That was always a thing about commitment. It was like being committed on certain conditions, you know, mm. uh, so, and it never got to the full condition of two that we're going to be committed to each other or, you know, to death do us part. It never reached that level. So my son had to come to me, you know, he just talked to me, you know, which was so surprisingly that my son, my young son had to come to me and talk to me when all of these adults that I'm surrounded by that are married did not have 
the guts to talk to me or the nerves or to deal with their own problems to come and talk to me because they was dealing with issues. You wow. know, wow. even in ministry, here I am, I'm, I'm still preaching and, you know, and my life is out of control. My marriage is out of control and I'm going to church every Sunday. And my pastor didn't even knowing, you know, the issues that I'm dealing with, but had, you know, didn't take the effort to call me into the, into the office and say, let me just sit down and talk to you. Let me see where you are. And I just had, I felt like I had to fight all my life. And mm. what I was fighting for a life that was filled with love. I wanted that family. I was longing for uh, love and, and acceptance, you know, yeah. being wanted, being appreciated uh, by someone. And that's what kept me. And, and let me take you back to what happened that increased that that loneliness is because once my pearls was tampered with, yes, yes, it produces a, a spirit, and yeah. that spirit was lust because wow. now I have been exposed to an area in my life at a child that's fourteen that I should not have been. Yeah, so now it has opened up. Now I'm thinking that uh, that love involves sexual activity. Okay. Okay. So, you know, you find that and now not only did it comes with being intimate with someone, but now it's come with the abuse of hitting. Uh, you begin to accept that because somewhere down the line that we're taught that um, uh, they don't, they only did that. They hit you because they love you. They was trying to show you. So, you know, you begin to incorporate and think, oh, he won't do it again. Wow. You know? mm. So all of that came a part of accepting uh, but you knew deep down, I knew deep down inside it wasn't right. Wow. Wow. So that was gave me my hope to mm -hmm. hold on to God. I know you promised me that you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. That you will always be with me, that you're going to give me that family that I solely desire. I know this. So that's what kept me holding on because I knew the things that was going on at the present time wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And so when I would get out of it, it kept my drive going and my belief that God's still going to promise the promise that he made to me, that it was going to come to pass. That's why I kept getting married. I was like, okay, well maybe it's the next one. And maybe it's the next one. Wow. Wow. So I got to that place to where I said, okay, enough is enough. Mm. Mm. If, if, look, I done had all these men and, and I done married them. That was the good thing about it. Yeah. You know, when, Tease me, I said, at least I can get them to the altar. They <laughs> love me enough, you know, to get them to the altar to say I do, even if we don't stay. You wow. know, so that gave me hope that I was worthy enough mm. to go to the altar because wow. there are so many never make it to the altar. So, don't you? I, yeah, so I that gave me hope to know that. There's a part of me. There's somewhere on the inside of me. It's just that I got to find myself and and just settle down. So I began to seek God more. And then I began to look at the scripture and I was like, Lord, is this scripture even possible? I know what I'm reading. I know what I'm preaching. But is it possible? Because I don't have no example before me right now to show me because it was kind of like everybody was pretty much doing their own thing. Yeah. Or we are walking in the... Uh, the God is so forgiving. We're walking in the grace, you know, we're walking in uh in sin with no change, you know. Uh everything is it's it's like uh as if it wasn't going to come to the light. So, wow. you know, it's like it, 
in that saying of it's not so much of what you do, how you do it. So right. it was like all the secrets. And we know that the secrets of a man's heart is sin. So, mm-hmm. you know, when sin is, when secrets are there, more than likely there is sin. Wow. Wow. When secrets are there, sin is present because there is no secret in God, you know. So mm-hmm. he's open. He's open and he is a just God. So that what kept me going on. And I was at this place now to where I'm about my father's business. I was like, okay, God, I'm good. Mm. I'm good. If I never get married again, I'm good because it's not like I haven't been married. So, you know, I'm just going to be about my, I'm going to believe your word. Take it at your word. I'm not have resentment. Mm. I'm not a a divorce advocate. No, I still believe in love. I still believe in marriage and I still want people to have happy marriages, Mm -hmm. even if Mine didn't work. Wow. So I just continue to preach and teach God's word and be about my father's business by helping others, showing others that I care, pray for other people's marriages, their marriages work, you know, um, all of this, their deliverance came and I was good. Yeah. And then Mr. Patrick come along. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so interesting because like I said, after all of that, now this there's healing that has taken place in your life at this point. And now you're like, God, you know, it's, it's, it's Jesus and him alone. That's the man in your life now because now yeah. you're listening to the heavenly voice and you're following on that path and on that track. And like I said, all of us now, here comes the black knight, the real black knight in shining armor, Mr. Patrick, who is literally a man of faith. This is the real deal. And this is where that, that story turns so beautifully because, I mean, I want to talk to Patrick for a minute um, because this is really where it gets interesting. After you're, you're Bernice, you're in a place where you're just, you're loving Jesus. You've got this relationship. You're preaching, you're ministering. You know, you have your children. Things are okay. Now, Patrick, you step into the picture, as I call him, the Black Knight in Shining Armor steps into the picture, who is actually the real deal. Patrick, how did this relationship come together? Because I know it, 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 Bernice talks about in the book how you pursued her like like an army militant person. You know, how did you um, you know, how did this relationship come together? And why did why were you in such pursuit of Bernice, knowing all the things that she had been through? Well, really, it came in that. Her now, my mom was in a class together, and she telling me talking about my mom was talking about her kid, how wonderful they was, and she up there talking about who is her kid? They can't be that good, and uh, she met around it and invited my mom to her church to preach, and which me I played drums and I played bass, good time, and wherever my mom go, she would always ask me, you get you uh, gonna be able to come and play for me? I said, yeah, I said. When I get out of work, I'll be there. But that day, I was running late. <laughs> and my mom and going to church, I blowed, I called, I said, hey, I got to go home and change clothes. I'll be right back. And I uh, came back, set up, and uh, that night, you know, she done got me up there to introduce my mom. I'm like, why should they let my dad introduce mom? You know, I get up and did all that. But when church was over with, I packed my stuff and I left got down the road and thought about them like, oh, I got to go back. I didn't speak to her before I left. Wow. Went back. <laughs> went back. My dad, I'm just about on eat my light on, on my on my truck. <laughs> I went back, got out the truck, didn't even cut it off. 
went back, spoke to her, and said, I had to come back because I didn't get to speak to you before I left. And she gave me a hug, and I, and I told her, I said, when you gave me a hug, I said, I let you go, and I lift, get, got ready to raise up. No, because she's shorter than me. <laughs> I got ready to raise up. I said, you still holding on to me. Your feet was off the ground. <laughs> after that, I kept going. I asked my mom. I said, mama, why don't you hook me up with a, with, with Pastor Bernie? She said, she said, what? I said, hook me up. She said, yeah, okay. Mom ain't never called and never tell me nothing. <laughs> about, about two weeks later, I asked my mom. I said, mom, you a tell uh, Bernice what I said. She said, no. And she said, here, you call her yourself. I uh -oh. said, huh? Uh-oh. I waited another week before I called. Uh -oh. <laughs> uh, we got to talking and, and talking and, you know, we stand on the phone till three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, talking to each other. Right. And knowing I got to be at work and I'm working 12, 12 hours a day. Mm. You know, like, didn't get sleep or nothing like that. You know, we, uh, we kind of hit it off like that, you know. We, we, when we go out to eat, we never went out to eat by ourselves. Okay, okay. Her daughter was there with her. Uh, end up, I go get my daughter. Then another one of her friends was with us, and you know, we still get went out. I'm talking about wherever we went. I said, let's go out to eat. I thought it wasn't nobody but me and her going out to eat. Next thing you know, she going over somebody's friend house, and we eat over there. <laughs> You know, which is really interesting because I know that she had a protective attitude for her children and things yeah. like that. And did, did that, knowing her story, did it make you feel that you wanted to protect her and, you know, protect your grandchildren and everything, knowing the different hardships that she had been through? Did you have that sense of, I am your protector now type of thing? Well, it's kind of, yes, I kind of did want to protect her and stuff. No, no, really before I all it really gets happened uh, with her last husband, though, me and him work together. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. But a lot of stuff that went on, and no, I'm not that guy no more who I used to be. I kind of want to get him, <laughs> but uh, it, not only me, a bunch of guys that work with me to get him, really, but <laughs> God worked it all out, though. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know yeah. especially when me and her daughter met, me and her daughter gets hit it off, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty of it because um, she was terribly bent but not broken, and right. you are the person that came into her life, and you were the real deal that has been there by her side, co-pastoring with her in ministry. Now you are the other part; you are the one that helped her to to uh, get to the level of love that she had been looking for. And so that's yeah. why we said the Black Knight in Shining Armor because you <laughs> are a person that's very supportive of her uh, and things like that. I know when you guys were in the studio the other day and we were doing the television studio, it was so interesting. After the taping was all done and she had her nice high heels on, you know, they said the stiletto <laughs> heels and all dressed up pretty to the T. And then you're, you, were get, you were getting ready to go and you told her, you like to step down. And what that meant was you want to come out of those heels. You know, you want to come down and get out of those heels into some more comfortable shoes. She said, yes. And the whole studio looked around like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, the dynamic and, and the chemistry that you guys have. So I told uh, someone of the other people in the studio looked at his his wife and he said, you want to step down? That may come out of those heels. And so it's really beautiful to see how you just um, you know, you're there, you're that, that shepherd in her life. You're that person that she was looking for. And you're that mate that she yeah. 
filled a gap in a place in her life and things like that. And it's beautiful, beautiful to see the support that you give her, um, you know, and it helps her to even continue doing what she's doing today and being the person that she is today. And, and, and so we really, really love that. And it's, it's so awesome. Um, you know, and I know that you're a man of faith, uh, because you believe it, she preaches it and you, you just stand by it. It'll get done. You know, you trust God like that. And that's a beautiful example that not only in her life, but other men can also see and things like that, you know? And so, oh, uh, it's, it, this is just a beautiful story, Bernice, you know, it's just, here you are, you've come through uh, a girl from, you know, Hickory Valley, Tennessee, and you would have made your way back from the destitute ashes of life, taking the center stage of preaching all over the world. You you have found your divine uh, destiny, you know, and you have your, your helpmate with you now. You have that knight in shining armor who you're looking for all the time. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz. He was there all along, but he just happened to show up at a time when you really needed him, you know, and things like that. But after being deemed damaged by all of damaged goods, by all the things that happened to you in your life and, you know, all these ruthless bystanders that said, it's going to be okay. It happens to everybody. Um, you can't say anything. Don't say anything. They're not counseling you to get out of those bad situations, wanting you to stay in it. And it's going to be okay. Just hang in there and all of that type of counseling. Yet, you know, you were restored, you know, you were healed into an upright position. And that's the beauty of this book, Bent But Not Broken, you know. And I want you all to check out this book by Apostle Bernice Lofties Hardaway. Uh, she was bent, but not broken. It's a beautiful story. Uh, Bernice, how can people get a hold of you and get in contact with you to get more information, not only about um, the Serenity and Second Chance Ministry, but also to find out if they want you to be a speaker, to hear your story, uh, to be able to get a copy of your book even. How can they get a hold of you? Yes, uh, you can get a hold of me by going on to bhloftiesministries at gmail.com. Uh, you can uh, locate me there at bhlministries.com and also email me at bhlministries uh, at gmail.com. Um, the Upper Room Christian Bookstore, uh, the Upper Room Bookstore.com. I'm sorry, the Upper Room Bookstore.com uh, that you can find me there. And also you can uh, get the book on Amazon as well. Wow, this has been a great story, a true story. You know, friends, we're just about out of time. We want to thank you for listening. If you did not hear this entire broadcast, Please visit our website for updates and more information. Um, Bernice, Mrs. Bernice's inf uh, story will be on there. Her book, where you can be able to get a hold of her information, will be on there as well. Um, please leave a comment at www.road2eternity.net. We want to thank our guests, Mrs. Bernice Hardaway Lofties and Patrick Lofties, the Black Knight in Shining Armor, as we call him, who is here with us today on, on, the, uh, on the air. Thank you both so much for being awesome guests. Thank you for your story. We thank God that you're using your story and using the gifts that God has given you to bring light to others, to help them to know that no matter how hard it is, that they can make it. And yes, that the yes. journey that you had was very long and it might've been hard, but you did find your way back. And I'm so grateful for that. So friends, we want you to know, just remember that you are uniquely designed and strategically gifted Use your gifts to impact the world. Thank you for listening to Gifted with Sheila White. We hope you understand how your gifts can make an impact on the world.
Gifted with Sheila White is produced by Road to Eternity, a film and television production company.